Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking to Triathlon Taryn about how we got into the sport, how he got started making some of the most popular triathlon YouTube videos out there, and what he's learned along the way. Now, we spent a good amount of time also talking about the struggles he went through with overtraining and burnout the last few years, and what exactly is a healthy lifestyle and a healthy version of training, and how that might mean different things for different people. All of that after this short break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but also content across all our network brands like Outside Magazine, Backpacker, Velo News, and Trail Runner. With an Outside Plus membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, a $50 gear credit to the Outside Shop, which includes our library of training books, resources like our custom 70.3 training course and clean eating meal plans, dozens of training plans through today's plan software, a free event with Outside Events Cycling Series, and a discount on any races on TriReg or AthleteReg. And you get access to Gaia GPS and Trail Forks to help you find great routes and an annual Finisher Picks photo package to memorialize your race afterwards. Plus, now all of our members get access to our first ever Team Triathlete, a community of triathletes that includes Q&As with experts, training plans, in-person meetups, and team swag and giveaways. We'll be with you on your triathlon journey from start to finish. Join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus. That's outside P-L-U-S, one word. Become an Outside Plus member today. All right, this week we have Taryn Gesselon, better known as Triathlon Taryn, who is famous, I feel like, you're almost like famous for being famous, famous for your YouTube. So here's my question, Taryn. What is your favorite triathlon YouTube or triathlon video since that's like your middle Ooh, that's a tough one. Well, I have such a huge appreciation for the quality that Eric Lagerstrom does. I know how much work he puts into those and it is incredible. And to do it every single week to that level, the amount of shooting that must happen while he's training is I just have such a huge amount of appreciation for the artistic work that goes into it. So of all of the triathlon videos, those are the ones that definitely pop up. Oh yeah. He does make some very good. I don't, it's like hard to imagine how he has so much time for training and, and competing too. It's, it's yeah. I, I really wonder about that. Cause I know, and I've actually talked to him about how hard it is to train and shoot mm-hmm. at the same time, because like in your rest intervals in between the main set intervals, I would be changing camera angles and like running. And then it's not a rest interval because you're running all over the training studio. And he says, yeah, that's what I do. And for me, I'm an amateur. So what if if I'm not doing the set properly, but he's a pro. So I can only imagine how much additional stress it puts on him. And he's still racing well, which is crazy. yeah. 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 So obviously we've kind of jumped right into your uh, your triathlon YouTuber, but I feel like I want to I want to go back, Taryn. I want to go like all the way back to how you even found triathlon in the first place, how you became triathlon, Taryn. <laughs> it was about five years apart between when I first took up triathlon right. and became triathlon, Taryn. I got into triathlon on an accident, the same <laughs> way a lot of people do. I wasn't very healthy when I was growing up and in my early twenties. A lot of processed food, a lot of fast food, 
I was about 215 pounds in my early 20s. And I got rid of it when I got into university at the age of 22. I had gone from that 215 pounds down to about 185 or 190, but it was because I was weightlifting. That was all I knew how to do. I didn't really know about endurance sports. So I just went into the gym and started throwing weights around. And after a couple years of that, I lost a little bit of weight, but I wasn't really excited or fulfilled. I was just going through the motions every single day to try to look better. And fortunately, I got hurt so badly doing a bench press. I tore a shoulder muscle that I couldn't lift any weight. So to stay active, I walked on a treadmill. And then after a few days of that, I got bored of that. So then I intermixed a day of walking on a treadmill with then a day of being on the stationary bike. And then after a few weeks of that, I saw the pool. So I figured, hey, let's see if I can swim still. And it was just a horrible mess the entire way. (laughs) But I actually liked it. It was exciting to have this challenge of like, well, can I run faster or can I go a little bit longer? And after six, seven months of that, I decided to enter a try, a try, and instantly it hooked me. All of that excitement and and butterflies that I would feel in sports as a kid, they came back. Mm. And I never had that anywhere else in life. I never had an exciting day at work where I was like, oh my goodness, how's this going to turn out? <laughs> but triathlon, boom, right away. Okay. You got those butterflies back. There's something that's meaningful and a challenge. You don't know how the race is going to go. So I was hooked instantly and got knocked around in triathlon for a few years until I figured out how to train properly. And a couple of years after that, needed a hobby to do at evening on on the weekends and during evenings and just started making videos about when I was most alive. And that was when I was training for triathlon. So that was how the YouTube channel started a few years after I got into the sport. What was your job you know, before, you know, being a professional triathlon YouTuber? What was your job that wasn't, you know, sparking your excitement back in the day? I was a business school graduate yeah. and went into investments business. and finance I was spectacularly average at it because I wasn't very passionate about it. And it was it was a big wake-up call because all my life I had had to work to be good at things. I was never a natural athlete or a natural academic, but I worked at things and became good at a lot of them. But then when I became an investment advisor, I wasn't good at it. And it was the first time in my life that I couldn't will myself to be good at something because I just didn't believe in what I was, I was saying. And I just thought, well, I guess this is adulthood. I guess you, you just go through life being unfulfilled and unchallenged. Giving investment advice. Yeah. 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 I guess I just tell people what stocks to buy and then go home and maybe have a couple of drinks and the wine at night is the highlight of my day. And it was just tremendously unfulfilling. And triathlon gave me that spark back and let me know, oh, it doesn't have to just be boring. You just have to find the right things that you're excited by. Okay. I I know you were doing some other sports then too when you were like getting into triathlon. And I want to know why triathlon is better than curling. That's the most important question. (laughs) Uh, That's actually funny. So I was talking to a former president of the World Curling Tour just a couple of days ago about – how it's it's like this 
drinking game in triathlon that every time Taryn mentions that he used to be a professional curler in his podcast, you got to take a sip. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't <laughs> and, know that. There you go. Now, all yeah, of our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I throw it in so often and I always start it with, well, if the listeners didn't know, I used to be a professional curler. Just <laughs> like people who went to Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, they've heard it 500 times by now. So I was uh, a professional curler. Uh, we got up to ranked 15th in the world. And the same reason I liked triathlon for that excitement, those butterflies, was the reason I didn't like curling. Because we got up to 15th ranked in the world. And the whole thing about being good was that you didn't get butterflies. When you get good everything's just going through the motions. It's going through a process. You've hit, you've thrown that shot in practice a thousand times before it's to take the nerves out of it. So there were big events, world curling tour events that we'd win, or we'd be on TV at points and you'd win a game, a huge game. And it would just be like, okay, good job. Well done. That was what we expected. Whereas triathlon, it was like stepping up to a start line and the voices in my head were going, you might die in this race. You may die. And it was a 40 minute try, try, but it was that excitement that it was, wasn't fulfilled. Oh, man. And I'm so, actually, I, I'm working with a, an Olympian and a world champion right now who's quitting curling and she's trying to do her first race and she's having those moments. She's texting me and she's like, I, I am so terrified of the shallow end. It's three feet of water and I'm terrified. I'm like, yeah, it's exciting, right? And she's like, I know, it's great. So yeah, the that's why triathlon endurance sports is so much better because it gives you that challenge that forces you to rise up. And the point of it is to always challenge yourself hmm. with a task that you can't do. Whereas the point of curling is to get so good at it that you know you can do it every single time. I think probably some pros in triathlon also like get to that point, but I appreciate, I feel like there's a whole like deep hole of psychology we could go down that curling you couldn't die at. And so you had to come over to triathlon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I had to get, yeah, maybe there's something there. I should write that down and talk about that. I want a sport that I could possibly die at. <laughs> that's that's yeah. something. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Questionable. So you started your YouTube channel in 2015 because you didn't have enough going on. You needed a hobby. At the time, YouTube, I mean, now everyone has a YouTube channel. It's like written into sponsor contracts for pros. It's a whole thing. But at the time, I don't think there were that many triathlon YouTube channels. I don't think that was really a thing. No, not at all. No. There was Iron Man that was using their YouTube channel really just as a hosting site mm -hmm. for every video that they wanted to put out somewhere. And there were a couple of channels that had put up maybe a hundred videos or so, but they weren't putting up regular videos. And I was just, I was really like the first person on the scene. So I always say that the reason that we were successful wasn't because I was good looking or talented or really smart or connected. I was just a moderately fast age grouper out of Winnipeg that was just doing it. I was just the first guy to do it. And now it's much, much harder to grow a triathlon YouTube channel, but I had three clear years where I was the only person doing it until GTN came around. Those were three good years because we got a full <laughs> head of steam and a lot of subscribers because we were the only game in town. What made you think that there, I mean, if it never existed before, why do you think there'd be a audience for, for triathlon YouTube? 
I didn't really care. Okay. I, I No, I didn't really care if there was an audience or not. I wasn't fulfilled creatively <laughs> in my job, and I was curious about how to edit videos. So I... I started editing videos, like swiping my finger on my phone in iMovie and just wanted to see if I could make some videos. And then I wanted to learn if I could overlay B-roll and like footage on top of a video. So I learned how to do that. And then I wanted to learn if I could craft the analytics and the, mm -hmm. the, the metadata of a video to see if it would take off. And then I learned how to do that. So it was a it was three, four years of really just doing it completely out of curiosity and fun and learning um, and passion before it was ever anything that made us money. It was, yeah, it was like the four-year overnight success story that we were just doing it on the side. And yeah, I didn't care if it turned into anything, uh, the bonuses that it did turn into something, but it was always just a creative outlet. I feel like one of the things, uh, I mean, you and I have talked about this, we were talking about this before, and one of the things everyone always says about triathlon Terran, it's also fascinating how much emotion people have attached to you and your videos and your brand now. At some point when you were, I mean, you start out doing triathlon like anyone, you start making videos for your friends, and then it kind of gets bigger and bigger. And now suddenly, you know, there are people you've never met who have opinions about you. How yeah. do you deal with that? Like how, one, why are they so upset? And two, how do you like work around that? Well, it, there is the off side, the, the other side of that, that the emotion isn't all bad. Uh, no. There are people well, that, uh, yeah, <laughs> mostly everyone that we've, well, only people that we've ever met in person are tremendously fantastic. And that is the absolute best part of it. Being able to go to a race and meet people who say that we are a small part of their success in the sport. And that is a complete honor. And there's, yeah, of course, the little bit of people that are not such a fan of me. Uh, to be honest, I, I probably handle it as bad as you could possibly <laughs> handle it. <laughs> I, I have a chip on my shoulder the size of a house. So I take those things really personally. And I don't know how anyone couldn't because it's, it's somebody that's um, upset with you in one way, shape or form. Um, over the last few years, I've had to learn how to deal with it and really just focus on, am I putting out content that I truly believe is helpful? And sometimes people call me on things and say, you know what, it's clear you're not passionate over the last few months. And I'll read a message that says that and be like, yeah, you're right. I have been moving the last few months. So I kind of been mailing it in like that happened last year. So yeah, it does... You got to take both sides of it. If you want people to come and cry when they meet you and hug you and, and have that sort of fantastic connection with people, you've also got to take the bad side of it. It's just the way it is. There's Seth's Bike Hacks YouTube channel that I once watched him screenshot two comments that came within about four seconds of each other. And the first comment was, this is the best video I've ever seen on this topic. The very next comment few seconds later was, this is the worst piece of garbage on this topic I've ever seen. And he screenshot it and he said, this is how the internet works. So it is. <laughs> it's, it's just how the internet works. You've also had a lot of people obviously kind of go with you through your journey and your like growth in triathlon. And like you said, you got pretty good. 
But the last couple of years, I know. Yeah, I was, I was a good age grouper. Good age grouper. But the last couple of years, I mean, you weren't 15th in the world in trap. I was 15th in some races, but not the <laughs> world, no. <laughs> but in the last few years, um, I know you've kind of moved away from traveling. You got, like, you got burned out. You got overtrained. Like you kind of even just in, alluded to right here. You had other things going on. Um, and you've kind of taken people with you on that journey, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing that I have ever had was me and my authenticity. Comparing myself to GTN, for example, they're a corporation, they're a company. It's not the Mark and Heather show. Um, they are going to have, I think, maybe less personal connection with their viewers because they're strictly putting out information. In my case, it was largely content that was about my journey and growing in the sport and learning about the sport and now what I've learned from the sport. And what I've found is the more honest I can be with people, the better it is for my mental well-being and I think the better it is for the for the world. I think that there is so much in endurance sports that is posturing and ego-driven and everyone's talking about how they're constantly crushing it and everything's going great. And when I started talking about how I was actually struggling physically, emotionally, mentally, so we had upwards of 6,000 messages when I finally came out and said, like, I'm having a hard time with this. And most of the messages were people saying, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one because nobody's talking about this. And I think this is something that needs to be talked about. It's like talking about mental health, that nobody is nobody is scared to talk about a hamstring tear. Um, but people are still scared to talk about, say, a mental injury or a mental challenge because it's still a little bit taboo. And I think it's important for the people who have a voice and are going through those things to talk about it so that it becomes more commonplace. So it becomes more open and not something that people should be ashamed of because that shame and that bottling it up, in my experience, was the hardest thing when I felt like I had to be the guy that was out there killing it every couple of days on YouTube. That was painful. That was really, really painful. And it wasn't until I just say uncorked the champagne ball and boom, I I cried on a podcast while Sarah true was making me feel okay about talking about it publicly that everything felt better. So I think people deserve that sentiment to be out there in endurance sports where it's okay to talk about struggles. Well, that is what Sarah true is here for. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's fantastic for that. We need more people like that, but fact of the matter is that it's still scary to talk about. It's, it's tough for people with sponsors to talk about, like the the people whose lives revolve around killing it all the time. It's vulnerable for them and risky for them to come out and talk about that stuff. Um, I had to talk to my sponsors about what I was going to talk about before I actually came out and said that I was struggling. So yeah, we've had some that dropped off and I don't need to name what companies are, but there was definitely a change in sentiment. It's 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 hard to watch somebody be vulnerable, but I think that it's important to let everyone know that it's okay to just admit that those those things are happening. What do you think? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you have this. What exactly? What do you think it was you were struggling with? Just like the need to 
be perfect, the fatigue, the burn. I mean, burnout's a word that's been very hot the last couple of years. Um, or was it more just like physical and manifesting, you know, emotionally? Uh, yeah, I've come to learn that they're just two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. That I believe in my circumstance, which is very similar to what most people go through. I grew up eating a ton of processed foods, being okay. very unhealthy. And that sets you up for a tough adulthood because your microbiome doesn't develop properly. Um, your metabolic system doesn't really develop properly. And then all of a sudden I turn 18 and I drink really heavily for about 10 years. So then we're making things worse. And then I instantly change who I am. And all right, now I'm the fit guy. When I'm 28, I'm going to be the endurance guy. Well, 10 years of endurance sports doesn't undo 28 years of bad habits. Hmm. If anything, 10 years of endurance sports, when you're training really hard and taxing all of your systems, you're, you're taxing your digestive system, which I've been beating up for 28 years. You're taxing your cardiovascular system in a good way, but sometimes a little bit extreme. I came into it delicate, basically. And I think went through a bunch of really, really hard training and things just start, start going off. And the, the stomach is where a lot of serotonin is produced. So serotonin stops being produced or the gut just has an imbalance. And then that has an effect on your brain. And uh, in my case, spent a number of years being fairly stressed and then adding on training stress on top of that. And then COVID comes around, which I found very stressful personally and from a business standpoint. And all of a sudden, my body has just been bathing in stress for a bunch of years and things start going. And I think it's all really related that we don't take care of ourselves enough until it's too late. And I think in my case, it just got to be too late that it wasn't until really the last year that I said, you know what, I can be fit. I can be healthy. I can be athletic. I can still go run a sub 20 minute 5k. I can still go and yeah, I can still go do that, (laughs) but I don't have to pound myself into oblivion to be able to do it all the time. So what did you, did you quit? I mean, people, did you quit triathlon as we say, or did you just step back? Did you take like a break? What did you kind of do to, to, to solve that? I think people take it as I quit triathlon mm-hmm. just because I haven't raced triathlon in a long Nobody's time. Nobody's raced triathlon in like two years. That's the thing. I'm from Canada. <laughs> I could try to find a triathlon up here. And people make fun of me. They're like, come on, you can't get out of Canada? It, well, yeah, it was really up until about six weeks ago that we couldn't get out of Canada easily without a lot of logistics issues. But it was more that over the course of COVID, I... I just shifted gears because there were no races to do and I wasn't training 20 hours a week. So I spent more time on the business and decided to turn our business into something that was bigger than just me. And that took off and has been really, really busy. And the fulfillment that I get from helping other people reach those races and get on their podiums, um, maybe do their first 5K that they never thought they could be able to do, helping people get past that thing where they've maybe said about anything, I could never do that and helping them reach that, that is more impactful than me getting to another another finish line or a start line because I've been to 
like 12 years of them. And I find more fulfillment out of helping other people. And I think for me to do our business really, really well, I just want to take a step back. I want to focus on being healthy and helping other people get to their start line. So yeah, there's going to be races in the future. I'm just really excited by what we're doing with our company. So you kind of took a, a what is the word you just use? A step back from, from training yourself. Uh, yeah. yeah, I still train every day, okay. but it's more about staying healthy Okay. So that when I ever want to come back, I can easily. So I've had instances where I, I basically do an hour every day and a lot of it's low intensity. I do one or two really sharp sessions a week, a lot of strength. And what I've found is the amount of fitness that I've been able to keep, even at being like 15 to 20 pounds heavier, I'm putting out times that were comparable to when I was training 17 hours a week. So that has been a big lesson that I could, I can impart to the athletes that we work with where like, you don't have to be a hundred percent on training at the most amount of hours that you possibly can every single week, all year to be good for your race. You can train in a healthy way year round and then spend maybe two, three months sharpening up for every race. And we're doing that with, uh, we have about 760 athletes that we're working with right now. And almost every single one says, I'm astounded at how good I'm, I'm racing with the lack of hours that I'm putting in and the lack of, of suffering that it feels like I'm going through. When you say healthy, like what's your, what constitutes, like if you're trying to maintain like a healthy right now lifestyle yeah. and healthy yeah. amount of training, what constitutes healthy versus unhealthy? Uh, healthy right now for me is about seven hours, seven to nine hours, vast majority of it being low intensity, a couple of sharp sessions. Uh, the sharp sessions tend to have a lot more rest. So it might be something like 30 seconds on two minutes off, as opposed to more like eight minutes on two minutes off, just so the ratio of how much time you're spending at really high intensity is skewed a little bit more in the favor of low heart rate training. So you're spending more time at low heart rate so that your body isn't building up as much cortisol and stress responses. And then a large amount of strength training. So three times a week doing strength training and once a week doing mobility, yoga. So that tends to be it. it it's those rules of thumb that, that I follow that allow me to stay metabolically really nice and fit, having a nice low-end cardiovascular system. I can still put out big power because I'm having those one or two sharp sessions, big power or um, quick leg turnover. And then my body structure is a lot healthier than it was three years ago because I'm moving a lot better with the strength training that I'm doing. Oh, I like mobility in the yoga. Yeah, yeah. My body can just move better. I, I'm, not, I'm not fighting my body with a limited range of motion. And so when you said, you know, you kind of hit this point that, you know, you were, you were crying on Sarah's podcast and you were like, I'm, I, I need to take a step back. Um, did you feel like, did you do a reset where you like, okay, I need to three months off, six months off, a year off. And now you get back into a, like a kind of base level or, or how did you kind of get through that? Uh, there was not necessarily a reset, but what happened at the end was 
I had just done my 2019 season, uh, best mm-hmm. season I ever had, had a four, uh, I think it was a 431, something like that early in the season. And then a 941 in my first full iron distance and then a 428 on a pretty long course later in the season. And these were times that I never thought that I'd be able to do. And in 2020, I was preparing to try to qualify for Kona. Right. And early in 2020, right before COVID came around, I was working with Dan Plews, really, really good coach. And we were monitoring my HRV and monitoring my soreness, my motivation. And he just noticed there was a point that it just took a hit and I could handle 17 hours. And then it was more like 15 and then it was more like 13 and then it was Mm -hmm. more like 11. And then when we got under 11, he said, dude, you got to get something sorted because I can't give you anything right now. Hmm. And that was more the reset where I just stopped doing structured training. And it's taken me a while to figure out that nice balance of being okay with just focusing on good supportive training that is healthy, that keeps me in the game um, and not feel like I had to be this guy that was like, oh, okay, I'm always trying to get to 12. I got to get back up there. I have to, because that's me. Uh, It was more, it was probably about a year of, of figuring out mentally that it's just okay to say, hey, I'm the artist formerly known as triathlon Taryn, (laughs) but I'm not doing triathlons anymore. And that's okay. Like, Like, so what if I'm not? I've done a whole bunch of them and there's still lots of lessons that I can learn. And like, I can still share those lessons. And just because I'm not racing doesn't mean that I don't know anything. So it was, it was a long mental process of just accepting, you know, what? like I'm not going to race right now. That's okay. And so that's interesting. You guys were tracking. We've been talking about HRV at work a bunch, which is heart rate variability for people who don't know. And so you literally started to see like soreness and HRV and your motivation. Yeah. Motivation is actually one of the ones that they always say, it's not a number, but it's still actually like the most important yeah. factor. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I've bringing up Sarah True again. Yeah. One of the biggest lessons that I learned from her and Ben when I spent a week with them in Tucson training, they said that one thing that they monitor in each other is how long it takes the other one to get to their second session of the day. Okay. And if they're dragging their feet and they're looking You're at like sitting in your media, car, yeah. yeah scrolling uh, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. That's an indication that they need some rest. And this is a, a, a gripe that I have with the fitness industry that all these 25 year olds that look like Greek gods and goddesses are like, you just have to get over your low motivation. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That low motiv- motivation is a tool. We have to use this. That That is not something to fight. That is something to learn from. That's the first indication that you need a little bit of rest. Um, so I, I just find it so so funny when everyone's like, if you want it bad enough, you'll get up at 4 a.m. I'm like, no, uh, no, 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 no. You need, you need to sleep here. And you need to recognize that if you don't want it bad enough, maybe you need some more rest. Or maybe, <laughs> you, need you, need, maybe you need to back off your training a little bit because you're not doing anything by training more once you hit that point where your body can't absorb it you're just training more for the sake of training more it has nothing to do with your health or your performance it's it's just about ego and like racking up additional hours at that point yeah it's an interesting question because i know you and i were talking about this like last week week before and you know because there's always a point in iron man where you are sitting in your car scrolling instagram being like i really should swim 
and you hit that yeah. point in Ironman training, like what, three weeks before? Like, it's just how it, like, and then it's like, is that healthy? I, is it part of Ironman? Sure. Should you do that all the time? Probably not. Like, it's like this. Uh, yeah. I, I personally believe that anything past about a half Ironman hmm. is not for your health anymore. It's for your ego. And that's okay. That's, but just accept that it's for your ego and not for your health. And if your ego and your challenge and your desire to challenge yourself is more important than your health, go for it. Just understand that you might have some consequences to pay later on if you keep chasing the Ironman dream over and over and over. Or say, hey, you know what? I might dip into Ironman every few years. Right. When when my brain and my family and my work all supports it so that hopefully it's not so detrimental. And I think that that's okay. I think there, there's so much in our Western culture that is pushing towards more is always better, more money, more work hours, more PBs, um, more distance in your race. And in endurance sports culture in particular, it's almost shameful to say, well, I just do sprints. People always say that to me, like, well, I just do sprints. Like, no, 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 there's no just. It's I do sprints. Great. Awesome. If that's what you like, that's what excites you, go for it. Where I want people to get to is a point where they are challenged by something. They're not just going through it for the sake of going through it, but they're also not doing it in such a way that um, they feel like they're slogging through it when they go, oh, I just want this race to get over. That's a point where you got to peel back. And there's somewhere in the middle that people should try to live. Some kind of middle spot. There's also, and like we, you were just saying, there's all kinds of reasons people do. What's the, uh, the joke I was saying? Nobody climbs Everest for their health. Like there's all kinds yeah. of other reasons to do things. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah. that's okay. Just recognize it. Yeah. There's something about like some stu- there's studies, right? The optimal amount of exercise for heart health is like four times of 30 minutes of jogging a week but that doesn't sound yeah. exciting to me that's not that wouldn't like get me like motivated so yeah well then the number that i like to look at uh is nine hours anywhere past okay. nine hours roughly of moderate well-balanced exercise which includes low intensity high intensity and most of it being low intensity and then a fair bit of strength anything past that is really hard on on your body um, and you see elite runners that have a higher incidence rate of about three times the rate of the general population of arthritis and heart health, the same issue. When you get more elite, there's more heart problems. Um, and at nine hours a week, like you can do a hell of a good training block for half Ironman. And even for Ironman, if you spend year round doing an average of nine hours and then for a few months, you just peak up past that nine hours to get in those big sessions, you can do some really good damage with that kind of training. But most people try so. to live at 17. I hope so, Terry, because that's my plan currently is the, I have three months off of my like nine hours a week. Yeah. So I'm hoping I've watching your, Yeah, I've been watching your training. And I'm like, <laughs> this is good. That, But it takes guts to come out and say like, I'm just going to... I'm going to build up and build frequency like you've been doing. Most people say, I'm doing an Ironman. Time to start smashing. Especially somebody public like you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I was people, I mean, we've talked about, you were telling me I'm doing Roth and, and Roth is very exciting, but I got to get, I got to get ready for it. So 
got to do my three month peak here. Yeah, you're going to have your moment of scrolling Instagram before you get to the pool. I'm like, do I have to do this? But that's part of the deal. Just recognize it going in so you don't feel guilty about it is what I'd say to people. They don't feel like they're not worthy of Ironman or something's going wrong when they're sitting there going, oh, I don't know if I should do this. Like, that's part of it. It's part of the deal. Yeah, so that's your brain last saying year, like, hey, we're, we're a long right? way past health here. <laughs> oh, we had all kinds of, I feel like all kinds of things when you're at like peak Ironman training are get crazy. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So last year though, you were mentioned, obviously you moved. You also did like some big bike packing. You did a whole bunch of adventures last year. Uh, what things did you try besides triathlon in all this time? Uh, I didn't, no, I haven't done bikepacking yet. Bikepacking is very much on the radar of what I'm gearing up to do now that I'm on Vancouver Island. Bikepacking in Manitoba, not very fun because it looks the same for 17 hours. (laughs) But bikepacking on Vancouver Island, really cool. So we're gearing up to do that. I do have a thought in my head that this is probably after the business settles down. So it might be five to 10 years away. I want to possibly take a crack at setting the cross Canada record for biking. Uh, it's very in reach right now and hasn't been attempted with any technology. Like the, the current record holder did it on an aluminum bike with no arrow bars. Okay. Um, okay. So I've got that in mind. And uh, the big thing over the last couple of years has been kettlebells. Like really, really getting, yeah. And people say like, oh, so you're doing strength and just lifting a kettlebell kettle kettlebell training when you get into it is a lot like swimming. There's so much technique to it that there's this big element of mastery that Mm -hmm. even just picking up a kettlebell and holding it at your chin takes weeks to learn. So that's been really fun. And now I'm into flipping kettlebells and kettlebell juggling Okay. And again, it's like, that's well past health, but, but it's like, eh, you know what? It's fun. It's fun to learn. And it's exciting because you drop a kettlebell and then you got to move your feet really quickly and, and hopefully not damage a toe. Um, but yeah, those are the few things that I've really had in mind. Okay. There haven't been a lot of endurance adventures to go on in Canada for a couple of years. Really? Yeah. So you moved to Vancouver Island, which is, you know, it's the Colorado of triathlon yeah. in yeah. Canada. Yeah. How is it? Is it, uh, is it the triathlon hub there? Is that the, the place? Not where I am. Okay. <laughs> Very much not where I am. Uh, the triathlon hub is Victoria, mm-hmm. which is about two hours away from us. And that's where we thought we were going to move. But we moved up to a tiny little retirement town called Parksville. And Parksville has the second highest average age in all of Canada at 64 and a half. And the town next door, Qualcomm Beach, has the highest at 65. Uh, I did the math and we actually brought the average age down by a day when we moved here. So there's great, great training up here. There's really just nobody here to train with. There's like one person that I can run with. and. Apparently, there's a couple of fast cyclists, but I haven't seen them because up here, it's sort of funny that they forget what the rest of Canada is like. And they're like, oh, this winter's just terrible. Meanwhile, back home in Winnipeg, it's minus 40 right. for two months a year. And here it's, oh, boo-hoo, only 55 degrees Fahrenheit. So 
yeah, they haven't been riding. And I'm out several times a week. Um, so yeah, when I want to build up to something, there's a lot more variety here. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's just a little bit lacking in the training partner department. Interesting. That's a, that's a choice. That was an interesting choice. Yeah, it, it was. And it was all part of accepting that I was going to focus more on health and lifestyle as opposed to getting back into the, um, I mean, you, you know what Boulder's like. Boulder is just this daily pissing contest. You go on a, a group ride and before you know it, it's like a Tour de France section that's like 45K per hour. It's just wild. I've been there a few times and I've heard a few people say, your training in Boulder often gets undone because you have to keep up with somebody else or like you always think you have to do more. And I like that I can come here and that training is something that I do for exercise, but most people around aren't really going to be like, oh, wow, you did 12 hours? Well, I did 13. And then have and it the in my head. 65-year-olds like yeah, aren't 60, doing <laughs> No, 65-year-olds are like, you did a half hour of kettlebells? My God, crazy. <laughs> um, so it's just supportive of having a little bit better balance. Okay. As, yeah, it's interesting. And I, I only thought of bikepacking because we had talked about it last year. You were going to bike back yeah. around Vancouver Island. Um, so are we going to see you at triathlons again this year? You're going to be there making videos, talking to people? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm going to be at the two PTO majors mm-hmm. because we're, we're getting the curler prepared to race her couple of first couple of races. And they're going to be the PTO Canadian Open because she actually lives in Edmonton and then the PTO US Open. We're going to be to that. Uh, if we want to open up a big can of worms in the conversation, I'm not going to be at any of the Ironman World Championships. Okay. I just put out a video about that, that um, I think Ironman has done enough to damage their reputation over the last couple of years. And right before COVID happened, I think you were probably... Uh, victim of this as well when we showed up at Ironman Kona in 2019 and they said oh yeah you can't broadcast anything about race day and I was like whoa 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 like I just spent ten thousand dollars to get my mm. entire crew here and like, yeah yeah nothing on race day well that's what we were all there for mm. um so yeah I, I have no reason to go to the Ironman World Championship so people won't see me there um, I tell you, I actually that, started yeah. like three months after Kona in 2019, so I have not actually had to work at oh, Kona yet. Oh, you weren't there so. for that? No. Yeah, you'll you'll see when you get there. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, here's your media credentials. You can't do anything with them." But well, here video's they are. very tightly regulated because the rights, whatever. There's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. The rights are very tightly regulated. But so you're yeah. not. So you're not going to be at St. George. You're not going to be at the other St. George. Or the other IMA World Champion. I made a calendar to make this clear to people, make it unconfusing. But you're not going to be at any of those. No, 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 no. And people might see me at a race here or there, but it's probably going to be a bike race. Biking really? is the only, yeah, biking was the only thing that I actually had some talent in. Everything else was a slog. So all the crit racing or road racing or gravel racing? I think, probably, racing. I think probably gravel and road. It's very, it's very trendy, very hot. You got to get on gravel. Oh, I know. I know. I got to, I got to, well, I've got my gravel bike, but I have to grow a much better mustache. I got to work on my facial hair. <laughs> And then maybe uh, what do they what do they ride in down in Boulder? Everyone's in flannel 
when they're on gravel uh, bikes? I think jorts. That's what our our jorts? my cycling coworker said. We gotta get some jorts. <laughs> <laughs> get, for, for gravel try we got to make like a jorts try suit that's what she was telling me yeah i'd be into some jorts i could <laughs> i could rock a pair of jorts <laughs> yeah so that's probably where people will see me just because it's easier for me to um i think challenge myself and excel on the bike than anything like i, I progress pretty well when i start doing structured bike training uh run training takes a long time for me to see good progress in and same with like swim. I don't know. Talk to me in 20 years and see if I'm even one second faster per hundred in swimming, but biking, I can, I can lay down okay. some Watts if I do some good structured bike training. So I want to see what I can do there. All right. All right. Well, then we will keep an eye out for you at a, the occasional gravel slash try slash PTO event. Yeah. Gravel Terran. Gravel Terran. See, <laughs> rebranding happening right here yeah it doesn't it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well <laughs> gravel gary now he would have a youtube channel that would be a good one <laughs> i'd listen to him and actually i yeah that actually is a good idea so. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so much for chatting with us Tarrant, and for for you know i hope everything's getting better i hope you're like feeling healthier now and, and it sounds you know like you're in a good place yeah, I mean, everyone, I think, expects that I'm going through like this life struggle or like a mid midlife crisis. And really, it's not. I think it was it was just a realization that I think somebody in the endurance sports world needs to add some voice of balance. And people can go out there and still smash themselves all they like. But just let's have one person out there saying, you know what, you can still excel and perform well in a very balanced way. And I think that's more welcoming to people. I think it's more welcoming to beginners to think, hey, I don't have to be pushing like David Goggins all the time. I, I can just be a little bit better version of me and get to some races. And that's the voice that I want to be. And it's a, it's a good feeling to be that to the people who don't really have a, a voice to look at where they just want to be a better version of their themselves and make endurance sports a little more accessible. Fun. Fun's what we always say. We want fun. To fun. Go figure. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Bizarre concept. <laughs> Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us, Taryn. And uh, yeah, good luck with having fun. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Thanks to Taryn for chatting and for all of his insight. And thanks to all of you. Keep listening and keep having fun.